these things kind of um, came back to haunt me later because now I've got like a class C, I think I have like two class C misdemeanors on my record. We've all messed up. Life is complicated and sometimes we do or say the wrong thing, either in our personal lives or business. This is how I broke this, the show about people's biggest F-ups and how they recovered from them. I'm Holly Hutchings. If you live in northern Nevada, you might know of my guest today, or at least his voice. Noah Glick is a reporter for KUNR, the NPR member station based in Reno. Knowing him as a colleague, he is kind with his time and always willing to help. An intern like me who asks too many questions. Going with the theme of my show, you can expect that Noah has made some mistakes along the way to becoming the nicest guy in public radio. There's an old saying that says, wherever you go, there you are. And that means whatever problems you have with yourself or whatever things you're holding on to, you're going to take them no matter where you go. Ultimately, this story starts in Indiana and it really came to to a head probably around 2009. I started drinking when I was about 15. And ever since I started drinking, I've always drank alcoholically. So I always drank way more than ever needed. I, I've never been the type who's like, I'll just have a beer and walk away or I'll have a cocktail and walk away. I've never been that type. I've never been able to. As soon as I start drinking, it's it's game on and it's I go until I all of a sudden I'm waking up the next day and it's like, oh, okay, I made it home. Cool. You know, when I was 18, actually, I ended up getting a DUI. So maybe it actually started back then. But, you know, the last day of high school, I went out with some friends and we decided, hey, let's party because it's the last day of high school. And we were playing beer pong with liquor which is a horrible idea. But I got blackout drunk that night and ended up trying to drive home. I don't remember it, but I ended up crashing my car into a tree. I woke up and there was the sheriff standing right there or a sheriff's deputy. And uh, so they took me to jail and kind of how my summer of senior year in high school started. So did that rattle you or shake you or change you right away? No, it didn't. Um... And I think this kind of speaks to alcoholism in, in general, right, is that you can you can have red flag after red flag after red flag, and it's not enough sometimes, right? So I did, I did end up getting arrested again in college. I spent a night in jail um, because I was out drinking. I was out partying, and I believe Jägermeister was involved at this party. Yeah, yeah that's kind of the reaction I have now. Um, I'm, I blacked out. This is the other thing is I was a blackout drinker, so I would always – it always seemed like every time I drank, I blacked out. Um, but I remember I came to that night, and I'm on the complete opposite side of town, and I'm running down a street. I have no idea where I am. No idea where I am. I don't have my keys, and, like, I'm just, I'm lost. So I ended up, ha- I had to call the cops on myself because I was, it was, like, 3 in the morning. I have no idea where I am. I'm kind of in a crummy part of town. And so I, I called the cops and had them pick me up and take me to jail, and um, luckily, you know, I was still on probation at the time too. And, um, you know, luckily my probation officer was like, you know, you know, we're going to let this slide because it hasn't gone through the, the courts and all that. And so I was luckily, luckily I was able to kind of not have any additional issues there, but yeah, I ended up with a, with a misdemeanor criminal mischief on my record. So two arrests later, I asked Noah if that did the trick in changing his drinking habits. I think that caused me to stop drinking for just over a hundred days. I remember having a uh, dry erase board in my room and I 
every night I would erase the number and put the next number for how many days sober I'd had. And I think I made it to about 106 or something like that. Three weeks after graduating college, Noah and his girlfriend left Indiana for the Bay Area. He could get away from a lot of things, but not himself. I would say that's when I started drinking alone, which was probably my first red flag that, um, you know, that I was probably relying on it too much. But I just conveniently chose to ignore that because um, at that time I was also suffering from a lot of depression. I moved to the Bay right out of college. So I graduated in December 2009. I had no desire to be in Indiana. Uh, Most people from Indiana will tell you that the goal is to get out of Indiana. So um, yeah, that was a pretty big, that was a pretty big deal. So it was, I think it was literally three weeks to the day from when I graduated is when I was in California. So yeah. And I think that's where a lot of like my drinking, like really became part of my identity where I was like, this is just all I want to do. And that's actually what drew me to the, the girl that I started dating was we both just really liked drinking and going out and drinking and, you know, everything we did revolved around drinking. So, um, one of the things I've learned you know, as I've gotten older is that alcohol often is the, is a symptom of, of something else going on. And I think the depression had been there a lot longer. Um, I think it had really started to come to a head about 2006. So, you know, about three years before, um, when I would say that my drinking was, well, I mean, my drinking was always out of hand, but when I thought that it was a problem. So, I think, and I think my depression at the beginning, it really started with, you know, I always had this idea in high school and in middle school, even that, you know, I don't know how to word this. Uh, let me just put it this way. I was never good with girls growing up, uh, whether in middle school or high school. And I always just, I always ended up internalizing that and taking that on saying that like, well, I must not be good enough. And, you know, there's something wrong with me. So I always tried to make it that I was trying to change myself to be somebody that, you know, would, um, that girls would like, you know, or whatever, whether it was like going to the gym or, you know, trying to pretend to like whatever dumb show was on TV that people talked about, you know, that kind of thing. And I think I, I started to, you know, just really take on a lot of that as like, well, you know, no girl likes me and, you know, therefore I must not be, I must not be that good. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of just remember that has always been kind of a, a common thread is, you know, having that sort of insecurity, I guess, would be the best way to word that. And uh, it took me a long time to sort of finally just be confident in who I am and not care. And then, of course, when that happens, then that's when you find people who, you know, that actually want to be with you. You know, once I told myself that I must not be good enough at whatever it is or I must not be good enough for whoever, then all of a sudden that can snowball and say, well, I must need, I have to change my life in all of these other ways. And that becomes overwhelming and stressed, stressful. Therefore I go to drink over it. Noah and his girlfriend hit an impasse. He didn't like that. She spent time with another guy. And she of course had strong feelings about his drinking. Things between them ended on Valentine's day. While we were together, she had urged me, she, she really wanted me to stop. And so I said, fine, I'll stop. So I stopped drinking for about seven months, I think in 2014. And, um, I hated it. I hated every single day. It was that feeling we talked about, right? That that uncomfortable feeling of not being okay with the way things are, with who I am, with where I am in life, with just everything. What's your identity? If this has always kind of been your jam, this is who yeah. That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that, actually. I really struggled to figure out, well, what am I going to do now? She said, you know, I'm unhappy with you drinking, and, you know, I want you to stop drinking. 
And I said, well, I'm not going to stop drinking because I already tried that and I hated it. So we decided on Valentine's Day 2015 to split up. That night, I went out to drink. <laughs> I went out to the bar to drink. And and I think she, she got mad because I went out to drink. And so she went out and went and slept with that guy that night. It's easy when I tell the story to focus on that part. But, you know, I was a very, very selfish person as well with my drinking and my depression. Um, cause my depression come to a head then too. It's, it's, you know, I want to say it comes in ebbs and flows, but like towards the end of that relationship, I just, I hated everything about my job and my life. And I just, I felt very much like there wasn't much to live for, even though I really cared about this person. I genuinely loved this person. I just, I couldn't be there for her. So this is the second time now that I had lived with someone and it didn't work out. And now it's the second time that I'm packing up their stuff I knew that my drinking was a problem, right? It's like, I know that here's a, here, you know, when I'm 16, it's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, why don't people like me? But when I'm 25 and this is happening, it's like, okay, I have one, at least, I have at least one specific thing I can point to that I can say, that's a problem. I need to take care of that. And I still couldn't stop even when I realized that that was a problem. And things are falling apart, probably because of this one thing. And, and like, you can't stop. Right. Like, what other motivation could there possibly be? Yeah. You're, you know, what else is earlier, it going to take kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, we talked earlier about red flags, right? Like, whether it's the DUI or, you know, the second arrest or whether it's, you know, the bad relationships or, you know. Now now you're talking about literally someone says, I don't want to be with you because you're drinking. Yeah. And I still can't stop. And at that point, I didn't want to. Because I was so depressed and didn't care about my life that I didn't want to stop drinking. At that point, I was living so that I could drink because that's the only thing I had going for me. The insecure feelings, I know a lot of you probably know them. I know them all too well myself. Threatened to take him over. I, I didn't want to do anything with my life other than drink. I didn't really want to live at that point. Drinking was the only thing that was actually keeping me going. I just feel like I had made mistake after mistake after mistake. I felt like I wanted to kill myself. You know, I have thought of suicide before, but it was never, it was never a serious plan. It was always like, oh, well, if I was going to do it, I'd do it this way. Like, oh, I've got a pill, you know, I've got a bottle full of antidepressants in the bathroom. I just pop all those, you know, kind of like these flippant things or like it would even be you know walking through like a doorway and be like oh i could put a belt up there you know and you know it's it's some grim some grim stuff right like that um but, but it was still sort of like just like theoretical like it was never yeah right it was more it was more yeah it was more i don't want to say romantic but it was this it was more like just this passing thought you know you just have these thoughts like you know if it ever gets bad enough i could always do that you know, maybe one of these days drinking won't be enough for me to get rid of this. I woke up that morning. I remember it was a Tuesday morning. I just remember I woke up and I said, I think today's the day I'm going to do it. I think today's the day I'm going to kill myself. And I had been thinking about it. I was like, okay, do I want to do the belt above the doorway or do I want to do the pills? Which way do I want to do it? And then something came over me and I realized, like, I need to talk to somebody. I can't. Luckily. It was in that moment, I was, I remember this distinct, I was laying in bed and I called my brother and said, hey man, I am not in a good place. His brother and sister-in-law welcomed Noah into their home in Reno and supported him in his darkest time. The only thing I had to do was watch over my nephews when they got home from school. That was the deal, right? You can stay here for free, take care of the boys when they get home from school. So 
you know, I did that for a while and, you know, it took me a while to get back on my feet, but I, I'd say, you know, to, to keep with the theme of your podcast here, that was really my turning point was when I was able to sort of get to Reno and start to really actually do the work that I had to do to, to kind of turn my thing, my, you know, to turn my life around. What made me realize how bad it was, was I, the fact that I came here to Reno to stop drinking and I couldn't do it. I couldn't go very long without any, without a drink. It took time to get on his feet. He spent the first couple months in his brother's house biking to the nearest bar and sneaking booze in water bottles. Of all the red flags that had popped up through his life, telling him to stop drinking, one finally flew up that he could not ignore. It all sort of blew up on a Friday. Like I said, my whole point of being there was to watch the boys when they got home from school. Get them started on homework, give them snacks, you know, hang out, whatever, until uh, until their mom got home around 5.30 or so, and my brother was working nights. So, you know, I remember one Friday I was drinking all my vodka coffees, and I passed out, straight up passed out at like, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. I remember that night I didn't wake up until, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Your sister-in-law was My home. sister-in-law was home, and my brother was home. You know, they were kind of talking in hushed tones, and I could tell they were talking about me and what's going on, and... And I just, just thinking to myself, like, I really blew it this time. Yeah. Like my nephews who were five and seven at the time, you know, they really counted on me and there I am. They come home. I'm passed out. They probably don't know what's going on, why I won't wake up. And that was finally the thing that kind of drove me to like, say like, okay, I've got to, I've got to do something. You know, when I started realizing that, you know, I was going to lose my family potentially be homeless if I can't get this under control then you know I I started to realize that I had to I had to put in the effort I had to do it that was September 25th 2015 that Saturday that Sunday September 26th 2015 it's the first day I went to AA and I've been sober ever since that day there were more takeaways from AA than just learning how to deal with his alcoholism He says the things he learned there have helped him be more helpful and generous with his time and talents. I think that's why I was able to start a new career is, you know, as I was getting sober, I started volunteering at KUNR, right? And, you know, most people there don't know this. I've told maybe two people. I think you're probably the third person I've... (laughs) That's the best part about having a podcast, right? Is you don't have to worry about anyone listening to it. Um, But, you know, it's... You know, that's, I think that's why I care so much about the station and that job and, and everything is because I started volunteering there about a month, month and a half into my sobriety. And the lessons that I, were, that I was able to learn in AA, I started taking to KUNR. And I think that's why I was able... Right, yeah. I mean, it was... But it was, you know, it's a, it's a way to kind of show that this idea of just how can you be helpful in this situation. You know, you're mad at your partner because they didn't do the dishes. Well you can either sit there and stew and be mad at them or you can be helpful. Why don't you just do the dishes and then go give them a hug? It's hardly hard to be mad at someone when you're giving them a hug and you're helping them. It's, it's weird. The little lessons you learn, but um, yeah, I mean, AA, AA changed my life. Do you ever worry that you will go back to these like things that are, I don't want to say they're like fundamentals of your personality because you've clearly evolved and changed, but like those insecurities or um, those things that made you drink in the first place? Do you ever like feel them creeping on and worry like 
you could have another drink or like if something was bad enough or you were feeling crappy enough. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, yeah, I absolutely fear relapse. Um, And it's only, I only ever fear relapse when it, when it comes to, yeah, those crappy feelings, right? Those insecurities or. Something's going to make them come back up. Like we're just that kind of people, I feel like. Well, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is so, you know, when you, when you first stop drinking, you feel like crap all the time. So you start to learn how to deal with feeling like crap. I mean, it's, you know, I I actually heard in a meeting once someone said, you know, if you don't feel, if you don't feel bad when you're first getting sober, you are probably not an alcoholic. And I, that just stuck with me because, you know, I think people think, oh, you stop drinking, you feel great. It's like, no, you feel like crap for a long time. And you have to deal with life. You know, I, my sponsor used to say that it's like exposed, like we're like an exposed nerve, right? As alcoholics, because we're so used to numbing everything that then when we get sober, it's like an exposed nerve, like everything that the wind blows past it, you feel it. So you feel everything now now all of a sudden you're back to like living like a normal person who actually feels things and deals with them and you know that and that's hard so we have to learn how to deal with that so you know the thing is yeah these things have already creeped up in my life and i just i move on and like i i figure it out and you know so am i worried about a relapse absolutely but it's not it's nothing that i obsess over and it's not that i i'm so worried about a relapse that i'm constantly thinking about it which then in turn leads to a relapse so um yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always a concern. I th- actually think the the more time I get, the more work I feel like I have to put into it because I don't ever want to have that feeling of like, oh, I got this. Because as soon as you start feeling like, oh, I got this, that's when that's when alcoholism can sneak right back in. Noah has come a long way since those very dark days thanks to the support system he had in his fiance and his brother. To this day, I mean, I, I owe him and my sister-in-law my life. I mean, if it wasn't for their kindness to take me in, I don't know if I would be here today. And I'm, and I'm dead serious when I say that. I mean, I don't know. I was in that place where I was ready to do it, where I was ready to make a move. And, you know, if I didn't have that support, from family, I wouldn't be here today. What does his life look like now? The thing that uh, my life has now is is potential and hope, and that's something that I had never had. I shouldn't say never had, but you know, it's something that I had lived for about a decade without, you know, a decade plus without feeling like there was a lot of hope. You know, I I had a. It sounds cliche, but you know, it's just there's a lot of time in my life where it didn't seem like there was there was a path forward, right? Where it was like, I just was ready to give up on everything. Like I was never going to have a good career. I was never going to be in a good relationship. I was never going to have, you know, I was never going to have, you know, the life that I thought I deserved for whatever reason. And, you know, now I'm at a point where I don't care if I don't get everything I thought I was supposed to get, you know, cause that's not the way life works. And, you know, for me right now, uh, it's, it's good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a fulfilling job where I work at KUNR and I'm able to make some money uh, doing some writing, which I enjoy. And, you know, I'm able to spend a lot of time at home and spend time with my animals. And, you know, I feel like today, the one thing I have that I hadn't had before is I'm able to stay present more than I ever have before and to be able to stay in the moment and just 
just be. Thanks to my friend Noah Glick for sharing so much about himself and his struggles. If anyone can relate to Noah's story, please reach out to someone. And if you have the opportunity to be on the receiving end of a call like the one Noah made his brother, be there for your people. I have had the chance to be there for people in this situation to an extent, and I didn't take it. And I think about that all the time. Now I have a podcast about making mistakes. (laughs) Check out Noah's work at KUNR.org. He is an excellent reporter and can break down a complex issue like legalizing marijuana or the housing crisis better than anyone else I know. Thank you for listening to How I Broke This. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, and I will probably start posting on there (laughs) at How I Broke This, or you can email me at howibrokethis at gmail.com. And I'm on iTunes now. So go to iTunes, subscribe. And leave me a five-star rating if you would be so kind. And if you have a minute, you can always leave a review. That helps a lot. And I'll see you next time for the next big bad break.